So one question is, could all students be this way? And if, if they could, why aren't they all this way? Uh, and I would say my humble opinion is yes, they can all be this way. And if we ask why aren't they all this way, someone like Dave wasn't taught to be like that, right? He's he's just like that. I think he's, sur he's a survivor, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. You know, he's survived and kept intact something that he's had from a very young age that for a lot of students is taken away from them. There's a natural interest in something. And who cares? Who cares if it's going to end up in one of these fields that seems to be important for society? Let's first just make sure that the student learns how to develop interest and work with that interest to inspire further interest. That's the project that we need to be concerned with as educators, is yeah. helping them do that. Welcome to the Unexamined Education. My name is Jonathan Ali, and as always, I'm joined by my friend Sean Dalrymple. In our conversations, we draw upon our experience as educators to gain insight into the essence of teaching and learning. We hope that our discussions inspire and benefit you, whether you are a teacher, administrator, student, parent, or anyone else that understands the importance of education in the life of the human being. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, John. In the last episode, we had an interview with one of your former students, Dave, and this was our first interview. And if we were a normal podcast, we might have just let it be and moved on to some other topic. But as soon as we were done with the interview, we started thinking about it, overthinking it, having some concerns and worries, not about Dave. And it was it was a great experience talking to him and he was a great guest. And I think we really benefited from having him on, but just about the meta stuff, the overall conclusions that people might come to from the interview. Right. We realized that we need to explain why why Dave's story can be a bit of a problem if if we <laughs> it almost feels like if we don't if we don't walk the listeners through <laughs> yeah. how to think, which is completely right. unfair to the listeners, right. but we're still gonna yeah. do it anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. The way the way I think of it is this is that if we don't tell them what conclusions to come to, they might come to their own. <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't have that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I hope everyone knows that we're joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the point is, is that we, okay, I'll talk about my main concern a little bit, but let me just briefly mention what it is, is that I felt that the, the message that could be taken from this interview or the conclusion might be much less radical than what I would prefer the conclusion to be. So, so what I'm going to argue for today is for that radical conclusion. Likewise, I see us probably diverging in a couple of small points, but your general concern that you brought to me after the interview, I eventually came around to realizing that you were right that this wasn't this might not push us it pushes us in the right direction if we if we understand what we're trying to do with it so i'm i'm with you let's let's go radical <laughs> all right i've never seen a situation where someone has an interview and then spend some time doing commentary on that interview afterwards but i i'm guessing we're not the first but let's do this <laughs> <laughs> i would be shocked if we were the first but yeah yeah actually a few examples are starting to come to my mind so maybe this is not such unexplored territory but sean from what i understand you had something of an apology to issue regarding this interview yes i do have a bit of an apology to issue there's first of all uh, when dave uh, agreed to do the interview I sort of laid down some some ground rules about things we have been trying to do, which is avoid commenting specifically about school names or, or people working at school. For the same reason, John, you brought up a, a week or two ago, because we're in these communities 
We're trying to make sure that we balance our obligations to the community to our obligations to the community. Wait, did I say we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to keep the <laughs> obligations to the community in a in a delicate balance against anything that might come across as criticism. Of course, in right. this case, I, I laid down all of these guidelines and then Dave had some nice things to say about the community as well as some criticism. Yeah. And it felt like the only person who could get praised in this whole thing was me. <laughs> so, yes. so it was like I said, conveniently enough, uh, Dave, uh, uh, I was, yeah, don't talk about anyone, Dave, except when you talk about me. And then you can talk about me. <laughs> and then every. <laughs> And then everything's good. And then I started to think about my my problem with uh, the the cult the cult leader uh, <laughs> right. pers- teacher archetype that I that I know I've been guilty of assuming and maybe in really subtle ways. And I started when I was listening back on the interview, I started thinking, oh my gosh, what <laughs> what am I doing? Like I <laughs> I feel like and and John calls it out in the at this one point, although not about the the cult leader, but he calls it out. So are you trying to take credit here, (laughs) Sean? (laughs) And and at the time in the interview, I was like, no, 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 of course not. I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest. And then I, when I listened back to it, it did sound a little bit, a little bit fishy. So I wanted to apologize if, if any of that ego or narcissism (laughs) seemed to to come forth. Uh, because it no, was I don't, really, I really don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really right. supposed to be purely about Dave, and I think it mostly was about Dave, but I still yeah. am self-conscious about that. <laughs> yeah, in in your defense, I I think that you're it makes sense what you were asking him to do and the way you set it up because you were concerned about the criticism, and I think what right. you were saying is you can criticize me right. by name, you know, right. but just be very careful about mentioning others in in a critical way. But it turns out Dave is a very positive and compliment, you know, person who uh, a gracious person and so it ended up being a lot of a lot of compliments although he he was critical of English as a field of study and as a class and, and subject in high school. But even then, he said, you were probably the best teacher he could have considering the limitations of English as a subject, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. I guess you take what you can get now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost control of, of the of the young man, so I guess <laughs> right. I better. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Okay. Are you done with the, is that, that the whole apology? That's the apology. So. Okay. All right. I, if I yeah. spend any more time on it, then I'm going to listen back on this and say like, oh, look, looks like Sean's trying to get center stage again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I, I think wasn't communicated as clearly in the in that episode, in that interview, and it was because we wanted to focus on on Dave's perspective and his experience. Our, I guess one premise of this is that it was difficult for you as an agent of the school to accommodate Dave's needs, right? That something stood in the way of this. And you mentioned a little bit about the IB expectations, but then it kind of seemed like in the end, because Dave scored well on the IB exam, like like we discussed, and also you mentioned that IB doesn't audit these things about the, the hours. So it in the end, it kind of seemed like it wasn't really that it wasn't that difficult to allow Dave to do this. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. What made it difficult to meet Dave's needs? All right. So the reason I say it was difficult, and I don't think this really comes up in the interview because it didn't really strike me until afterwards, is yeah. the the fact that Dave was doing fine uh, through the Montessori program and then came to middle school. And when Dave went to middle school, that was when he got on my radar 
as uh, as a up and coming learner to to high school and we had had a student one year ahead of Dave yeah one year ahead of Dave she came through high school a little ways and and things didn't quite work out at the school mm-hmm. and, and and I was annoyed I was really annoyed that this yeah. that this uh, young lady left because I felt like the school wasn't seeing it, seeing everything that we could do because we're small we should be flexible and we weren't accommodating as we should have right and so I already felt like the school had some things in place that maybe created a little more drag uh, than necessary for a student yeah when this young lady was coming through she was also pushing the limits to the math curriculum and we were an IB middle years program school at the time and so there was a lot of like looking at the text like oh can we give her more advanced math and I thought this was such a dumb line of questioning (laughs) I I couldn't believe it that we were questioning whether or not we were allowed uh, to uh, and, and so and ultimately she uh, she left. What and, like and what? Went to a, and she went to a program yeah. that that was more suited to what she was trying to get in terms of you know these advanced curriculum. And right. I think it's the difficulty is is seeing how where the student is because even when you feel like okay well we're making progress we're doing little things for the student you don't really know internally how b- bad it is. And the reason I brought up the sophomore year for Dave was because he <laughs> it was like the first time where it became clear to me that he internally was so annoyed and we Mm. had lost like a year by that time like this was towards the end of the sophomore year when or it might have been the beginning of the junior year Uh, but it was at some point where I felt like geez we've we've wasted time here we we haven't like been sensitive to the uh, internal struggle that the student has he's been polite right he goes to school he's a very polite person He's not going to go and say, you guys aren't doing what I need. Uh, so that's why it was difficult. That's part of the reason why it was difficult to even start. And I knew that we that we could get into this mode of being non-responsive at times. So You mean, like, was there active resistance to, with the, the other student that you mentioned, was there active resistance to offering more advanced classes? Or was it just a sort of inertia that, you know, you just keep asking the question of what can we do? And then before you know it, you haven't done anything and the, the student or or, you know, her family realizes that the school can't serve the education of their child and they go somewhere else. Was it was it just sort of like a lack of action that is that forms the, the resistance to doing something or or is that was there like an, an active reasoning to to not? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, there was a bit of this like, oh, can we do we're an IB MYP school. And and my reading of everything in IB was like, yeah, of course you can. But there was like this weird, like, let's focus in on this one line here that talks about the extended <laughs> curriculum. And she's at right. the end of the extended curriculum. So can we go beyond it? So it sounds like sort of like a legal discussion, like like your constitutional scholars or something trying to interpret. <laughs> no, and this is the worst. This is the worst thing that happens at schools, right? Is is that yeah? You, and instead of responding to the student who's saying, "I need this," you're like, "Well, let's see what the curriculum says we can give you, or let's see what our accreditors say that we can give right. you." And but is there some fear of losing? that that uh, accreditation or something like what is the yeah and then the, the other thing is is that you, you sometimes start to suspect that things like that 
are being analyzed because no one wants to go through the trouble of making a special schedule or figuring out how are we going to do this extra right. uh, work, make this extra time for this student. So yeah, that those things were, they for sure felt in play. And so when Dave came along and I realized where we were and how he was already uh, been frustrated, I was ready to just, just break the system. And even in ways within my classroom, because I wasn't, I didn't have the authority that I have now where it would be, it would be much easier for me now to, to just be like, okay, we're going to redo the schedule for this student. Yeah. But at the time I had to, it was almost like we had to make a little cabal and the science <laughs> right. and math, <laughs> science and math teacher <laughs> yeah. uh, were fine with it, but they also had virtually nothing to lose. Right. <laughs> because, yeah. It's to their benefit. It, yeah. It's, it was like, this is their star pupil. Like, but for right, me, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having to be the, I, I was having to act in the interest of the child without, <laughs> without this assurance that he would be okay. Or certainly I knew he wasn't going to go off and write the great American novel or anything. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, he but, still you know, could. Maybe he will. Hell, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, that brings up the issue of the the fact that in order to get what he needed, he had to have less English, right? <laughs> to participate less in, in English class. Right. And I guess that maybe caused some doubts for you about the value and necessity of, of what you're teaching. Well, and jealousy, right? I mean, let's yeah. not be, you know, let's not miss out on the fact that teachers can get incredibly jealous of the, and, and I still do, right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not past this. <laughs> right. We, we'll right. have a, a student that everyone loves to teach, and then yeah. you want that student to seek you out and ask for extra help or for enrichment, for further enrichment. And, and of course, Dave was great to have in class, but he <laughs> was never, you know, he was certainly not ever coming to, to, to my classroom after school. I mean, the guy would right. go immediately to the junior college or go to the science or math teachers' uh, rooms and yeah. get further enrichment. And so, yeah, I think there's, uh, there's that's that's in play too, I think. And I right. think it's unfortunate that, it, I think we should come back to that after we have our, after we tell the listeners how to interpret all this, we should come back to the jealousy <laughs> Right, thing. right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm already self-conscious of that, that we're focusing on, on you <laughs> too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's so funny. It's like, oh yeah. yeah I can, tell I can me talk more. About... Tell me more about your pain, Sean. <laughs> tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> yes, here's this guy. He's being so righteous. Oh wait, who's Dave? <laughs> <laughs> but okay. But just to put this in the framework of how we've been discussing, I, I think there's a lot of the institutional ego, you know, what we've been calling it, going on, and people acting, responding to this situation as agents of this institution, and not only agents of the the school institution, but agents of IB as well. So now right, this right. the school, which has its own needs and interests, has married itself to this larger organization, right? And now also they have to take into account of what does that organization want, right? right, <laughs> And meet that organization's needs as well as its own. And the more of these that get involved through accreditation and, and all of that, which, which a lot of times... Frankly, you know, I don't want to be too too cynical, although I usually don't try to be careful, <laughs> too careful about that. 
But the whole point of getting these uh, accreditation and being associated with, with some of these curriculum organizations is for marketing and to just have a, a sort of quicker brand recognition and, and credibility. And it isn't so much an issue of wondering whether, like for a school, the school wondering whether their curriculum is actually quality or not, you know, is, is of a good quality or not. Right. It's more of a validation of, you know, from an external validation rather than an internal validation. Here again, the ideal would be like a school following this line of reasoning. We don't know whether our curriculum and what we teach and the, the way we structure the subjects and everything, we don't know if that's in the best interest of the students because after all, we're just a little school and what do we know? So let's attach ourselves to an organization with more authority and they'll help us to make sure that our curriculum is strong. That might be how it's supposed to be. <laughs> but I, I think more often it's it's like the school's not really wondering about its curriculum, but it needs some kind of stamp of approval right. uh, to put on it for others to see. Yeah, the amount of things that happen for purely marketing purposes, <laughs> right? It, like, which I get, especially when you're a private school, but that's... Yeah, right, right. So it's this is agents of being agents of that institution and its concerns and of the right. larger organization... So, and then also just, you know, like we were saying, as an English teacher, you also have a an investment and sort of a commitment, like, you know, I don't want to overuse the word agent here, but you're also an agent of that field of study, right? And the idea that this is an important field of study. Right. And you have to invest in, in you know, like there's this whole idea that, that each teacher for his or her subject has to sell that to the students and and pass on this idea that this is an important subject. Right. So that also is is a, a, a kind of dynamic, which it's understandable why it's there, but it's a kind of dynamic that can get in the way of meeting the needs of the student. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> it for sure can. And we don't, yeah, and we don't meet them. And like I said, I, was, I had a specific student in mind where we didn't meet the needs before Dave, and, yeah. and I didn't want it to happen again. But yeah. I think we need to get to the point that we're concerned about, which is that this is, prodigy privilege, right? Right. Yeah. And so this was once we finished the interview and I, I we talked about this a little bit before the interview when you were telling me about Dave, because I, I didn't know Dave. Uh, this is when I started getting to know him is right before the interview. And but you told me about him and, and it occurred to me that when we interview him, he will come across to the to listeners as a special case, right? Kind of right. An, an anomaly. And even we could go so far as to say a, a sort of prodigy when it comes to mathematics and computers and and science. And the reason why that concerns me is not not, you know, because of Dave himself because I think it's it was really I really enjoyed talking to him about his own learning, right? As a, as a learner and his experience learning, like when he he's talked about learning coding and he, how he got interested in that through playing Minecraft and that community of people who are creating custom programs for for that game and basically his his path of learning is an example of a lot of the things that we've been talking about, right? How it's natural. It was based on his interest. Uh, he also mentioned that that when he would learn things in class, they were things that he could Im immediately often go and use, right? In you know, in things that he's really interested in doing. So this is really a you know perfect example of of what we mean by authentic learning. The problem is that when it comes to looking at him in the context of school, it's very easy to to come to the conclusion that 
okay, school works for most kids, right? But when it comes to special kids like Dave, when it comes to people who have above average talents in, in certain areas, of course, school shouldn't stand in their way. And and it's very, you know, every once in a while, you'll see a story in the news about some kid who, you know, graduated from high school several years early and is starting as a freshman in college. And that's it's typically a celebration. Right. Maybe some people have concerns about like he's not mature enough for the college environment, things like that. Yeah. But from just an educational point of view, it's celebrated that that this person finished that program more quickly than others and wasn't held back and has the opportunity now to continue at upper levels of education, right? So if 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 it no one would support the idea that a prodigy should should be forced to endure content and learn you know classes that are too basic for him or her right so that was my concern is that this would just be kind of completely uncontroversial in a sense because what you were kind of presenting is the idea that a school should get out of the way of a student like this and i'm not sure that anyone would disagree with that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well what i was for sure wanting that to be clear for Dave, but at, once you brought this concern to me, I was like, yeah, you're right. But where the hell am I supposed to get an example of the school getting out of the way for someone who is not interested in the things that society wants to see accelerated, like the sciences right. and the yeah. maths? And I was getting so frustrated with your... <laughs> <laughs> when you were telling me that that you were concerned about this because and that frustration was I was one it was because you're right because it's going to look like we're trying to say that oh schools need to get out of the way of someone who's super clever and in the sciences and maths but the point I was hoping to make is, is that schools need to realize the individual learning path of any student right that there is that there's benefit to attending to that and I'm quite sure that you're right that this this could come across as if a student has a, a certain skill set you should get out of his way but why I keep in touch with a lot of students and there's not really any students where I felt like I've ever seen the school get out of the way of a student who's interested in like early childhood education, for example. Yeah. And I've seen tons of students come through who they want to be a teacher. And there's, shouldn't that be a really valuable field to like start encouraging as soon as the, the, the student expresses interest in it? Wouldn't that be something we would appreciate to have yeah. someone who, who likes children and likes to be with children start following that path sooner? But no, it's like mm -hmm. get through high school, finish high school, uh, then go through college, finish college, and maybe your junior year you'll start to get some some classroom time. <laughs> and, right. and to me, yeah, I couldn't think of anyone where where the school gets gets out of their way when they have something that's considered, uh, you know, that's not in a high demand job or maybe it's not considered a an, a special skill set. And and so I was getting incredibly frustrated with your points, but it's really I re on reflection. I, I recognize that I'm frustrated that I never I never made it a point to say I need to get out of the way of this kid unless that kid was a science math kid, right? I mean, I've even had brilliant writers yeah. uh, come through uh, who I, I've, I'm not sure I've done anything beyond like, oh, there's a writing contest. You shouldn't enter it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it's just like uh, this incredible <laughs> frustration in the lack of creativity on my, my own part and, and the part of and the part of the schools that I've been involved with, it's always the science math prodigies that you get out of the way for. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. That's, right. that's what we do. Right, right. Yeah. And if we look at Dave and compare and contrast him with other, with other students, 
There are other characteristics that are more prominently, let's see, uh, there are other things that, that set him apart besides the fact that he's good at math and he learns it quickly and he can progress through a math curriculum quickly. And I would say it's the fact that one of them is the fact, the fact that he's maintained a passion for learning something. And maybe what's working in his favor is the fact that school also values that thing, right? But even despite the obstacles that he faced, and the frustration that he faced, he didn't lose his enthusiasm for, for learning math in particular. And I would say in our discussion with him, he, I think, has an enthusiasm for learning and understanding things in general, besides the name of the assassin of, of Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> which I wanted to say during that interview that this is really, you know, a useless... <laughs> I agree with Dave <laughs> that it's it's like, it's, it's a little... Well, anyway, I don't want to go off on that. <laughs> I... <laughs> John Wilkes Booth, just in case anyone's starting to doubt that any of us know this. Yeah, him. yeah, John Wilkes Booth. But uh, that's trivia, right? It's 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 sort of, it's, yeah. Right, right. And that, you it's, know what, that's the problem. Yeah, okay, here's, uh, this is a tangent, right? But this is the problem, is that this is what we call history, is knowing the right. name of a guy who did right. something. Right. You know, did something, you know, notorious, you know. Uh, notorious, yeah. Notorious, yeah. But that's not what history is, right? Actually, that question that Dave was asking about, <laughs> you know, history about the Egyptians, that's more getting to the core of, of what history is about than memorizing names of people, which also granted, like you can't be knowledgeable about history without knowing specific details. But anyway, like I said, that's, that's another interesting thing that, that I think came from, from interviewing Dave. And also I would say regarding his comments on English, he's kind of exposing a little bit how the way these subjects are presented in school doesn't get to the heart of what's actually interesting about them. Right. One of the things that struck me keenly was that he was exposing it in such a way. And also when he was reminding me of things I used to say, it made me realize that I've lost touch with things that made more sense <laughs> in teaching those subjects. And it's it, it's this, what do you call it? What, when, it's that agent. I mean, I, I know you didn't want to say agent too much, but as you become an yeah. agent for the institution, even when you have the well-being of the kids or the students in your right. forefront of your mind, yeah. Uh, you fall into easy practices of this is the way to present this subject to students. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another way I, I think it just occurred to me like a way of describing this becoming an agent thing is that you replace your own, whatever you want to call it, wisdom, common sense, your own understanding, your own insights with these stock generic <laughs> insights and approaches of the institution. Like an, a history teacher, for example, there might, there might be some history teachers who get into history because they like memorizing facts and, <laughs> and say, you know, saying them and maybe they like having all the, you know, like a, a lot of facts of dates and events and, and people in their mind and, you know, just sur sort of surveying those facts. But I would imagine that people who really get into history, who get in, who are interested in history and become history teachers and historians, there must be something deeper than that which interests them. In the same way that English teachers don't get into literature and enjoy literature because of the literary devices being used. In, <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> yeah, I mean, the... the yeah, the you think about the TV show Jeopardy, right? And, and the yeah. category is you know twentieth century wars, right? And yeah. the historian, yeah, he'll probably know a few of those answers just because he's a historian. But the guy who knows all the answers is like Kid Jennings, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> whose thing is to, uh, the thing he's done well is is to learn all of these facts and, and set them up for immediate recall. Yeah, That's another right. skill set. 
Um, yeah. And you don't call someone who has all of those recall, all those facts of recall, a historian. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what I was trying to get to is that there's a difference between Dave and, and other students to a certain extent. I Now, I think in other students, it's just not as visible. Somehow in Dave, it's it's manifested itself in a way that the, the school can't ignore and can't deny. And I think some factors in that are the area of his of his interest and, and passion, which is something that the school values. That's one reason why it's hard for the school to ignore it. The other is his the level of his enthusiasm and passion for it makes it hard to ignore, right? Like his his determination. And I think that determination, from what I understood, came or was a result to a large extent of his need for those things, right? His yeah. his perceived his the perception that he had himself of how much he needed to know these things and how much they would benefit him. So he was he's very self-motivated. So one question is, could all students be this way? And if if they could, why aren't they all this way? Uh, and I would say my humble opinion is, yes, they can all be this way. And if we ask, why aren't they all this way? Someone like Dave wasn't taught to be like that, right? He's he's just like that. I think he's, sur- he's a survivor, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. You know, he's survived and kept intact something that he's had from a very young age that for a lot of students is taken away from them. Right, right. And he even talked about the, the one curriculum that was almost seemed designed to flatten interest, I think he said. Right. In mathematics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which our apologies <laughs> to the publisher. <laughs> Not really, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I, I, I will, uh, I'm leaving that in there. Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a nice contrast there between two systems, but but the yeah, and, and and this isn't to be confused, right? So you know, society as we exist in it now seems to want to get everybody to it, it seems to want to put pressure on everybody to be highly successful in some sort of field that seems to really matter to society. Yeah. Right. So right. The, so I know this is something we said we wouldn't do. We wouldn't say like society's doing this, society's doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's, the, yeah, there's, there's clearly a push in the STEM fields. There's, you know, the, the, there will be encouragement for a student interested yeah. in, 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 law, in law, right? There'll be encouragement right. for a student interested in, in well, I, I was going to say engineering and doctoring, but I guess that's all mixed in with STEM now. But can I t- say something right here, which is, is this, that those, f- like, someone is not normally interested in law from an early age right or right or medicine or engineering it doesn't right. it doesn't manifest itself that way right right exactly it's, yes thank yeah. you yeah <laughs> thank you for getting to the point again that I was I was getting stuck in the weeds there <laughs> no problem yeah it, it just manifest just interest there's yeah. a natural interest in something and who cares who cares if it's going to end up in one of these fields that seems to be important for society let's first just make sure that the student learns how to develop interest and work with that interest to inspire further interest that's the project that we need to be concerned with as educators is yeah. helping them do that this again it, it goes again it goes to a real bias and prejudice that exists amongst adults regarding children which is is that what they're interested in right now, like a, a young child, is not useful, right? And we, we just, we're unable to trust that there's going to be some connection between this and something that's valuable to society. Right. But why do we think... <laughs> What makes us think that that we would be able to identify that link? You know, when a child is at whatever age, at six or ten or or even fifteen, what what makes us think that that we're going to be able to identify to recognize what they're interested in as as leading to some supposed useful field of knowledge or activity 
or work for society when, you know, yeah, like just to me, it just seems like something you wouldn't presume to to be able to predict. But at the same time, so it, it would require kind of trust, a kind of optimism. And that trust and optimism would be about the human being, about the motivations, the motivations of a human being and about the nature of, of human activity and interest, which is exactly what, what we've been talking about, is that you would assume that there's a productive and constructive and some some kind of something guiding the human being in a meaningful way from from within, which is the whole idea of trusting, you know, self-direction and learning. But it's like the system we have is the, the complete opposite of that, which is pessimistic and skeptical about the child's path and wanting at every turn to to manage that path and, and shape that path into, you know, towards a very specific and narrow destination. Yeah. And I think this is what Dave survived somehow, maybe to the credit of his teachers and the adults around him, or just maybe his own internal focus and ability to probably tune out a lot of the messages that, you know, you hear from, well, from outside. His parents, who I know well because of the decisions we were making along the way, I mean, that's a big part of it is, yeah. you know, these are people I could call up today and they would be happy to hear from me and we would be happy to have a good conversation. It's 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 a, a, a good relationship was developed with the school and the parents. And, and yeah, there was some concern about whether or not we could offer everything, but we worked through that as a, you know, really as a team. And yeah. And so it was it was all about figuring out what's the appropriate way to manage the expectations of the current situation. Yeah. And but but again, we're we're back. I'm sorry. I took that right back to uh, <laughs> the, the, the STEM thing. Yeah, I, 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 I need to get to the the opposite. I think what's happened, the phenomenon that I I've, I have identified as happening when we don't do this. Yeah. So I didn't mean to cut you off there, but yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, you've referred to this phenomenon, I think you know, or that type of student who this system creates as the empty vessel student. Yes. Yes. So can you explain <laughs> explain this concept? Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's the best moniker. For it. Yeah, it's a working moniker. Maybe, <laughs> okay. maybe we'll improve it later on. Right. But the the nice thing about it is, is I feel like it doesn't need too much explanation. But yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and explain anyway that the empty vessel student is the student who has gotten into school, has given into trusting that the adults are making the right choices for the child. Yeah. The child has concluded that things like reading and math would not be possible for him <laughs> right. or her had it not been yeah. for teachers. Yes. And so that child, as he or she grows, becomes more and more trusting that the yeah. adults, that the educators have the necessary skill to instill knowledge and skills into the student. And so you see students who show up in high school who take very little responsibility for their own learning. And it might look like a character flaw for the student, but I think it's what we've trained them to be. And so perfectly nice, perfectly uh, docile students who have their expectations for learning are 100% on the educators. Yeah. Because, because they see themselves as incapable without, uh, without those adults. Right. They really see. That's the the danger of, of of not treating everyone like, uh, like Dave. Right. (laughs) Of not figuring out what the interest is and making sure we cater to it. And not assuming from the beginning, the, approach to Dave that ended up 
being the best approach, right? Like, like we should right. assume from the beginning that that the way things, the way Dave's uh, situation ended up being, is the best kind of situation for every student. Not waiting until you have no other choice, right? It's either you you create that scenario for him, or the institution has failed, right? Like, or there's a danger of the child leaving because it's clear that that this program can't can't provide uh, what he needs. And I was well, I was going to say that, yeah. Go ahead. And and there is another student that we might interview. And in fact, I have a plenty of students in this other camp of people who basically because school prescribed all the way through, as soon as they got out of school, they they then went into years of trying to figure out what they wanted to be, right? Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But they could have had more opportunities at a younger age when, when you have an educational structure that could coincide with the various uh, attempts at, uh, at different interests. And I think you can see plenty of people in life who are in their early and mid 20s and even even into the 30s really trying to figure out what, you know, what am I interested in? That's fine. Right. That's great. That's, that's the human spirit endeavoring to realize the potential of the, of the human. But yeah. but did the school just delay that process? That's just partly my question. It's certainly yeah, right. it's certainly not helpful to. I just want to clarify real quick. It's certainly not helpful to ask a senior in high school who's going into college, "What do you plan to pursue?" Make sure you cater your or, or tailor your resume and application to this college to your future perceived field. Right. Right. That's certainly not helpful because that's about a an occupation. It's not about an interest. And so I think there's, there's a really frustrating way that we're, we're, we're grabbing students and we're saying, this is the thing that you seem to be able to do in society. Yeah. Make sure you follow that path. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. then they get out of school. They're like, I don't want to do that path. And this is, they try something completely opposite because that's the normal reaction to when you feel like you've been so poorly advised and you end up working in a law firm, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> basically as a, as a slave those first years where they don't care about your, your ability to sleep or have any social life and so then you react and you have the the you know the oppositional and then that you tend to completely miss uh, where your interests lie because maybe your interests were in law or something but not in terms of going into the field as others do but sorry you were going to say something and i interrupted (laughs) no no problem yeah i was going to talk about oh yeah okay i like how you described the empty vessel student as one who's placed their full trust in the education system and the adults who are running it because the question is how have they gotten to that point and i would say what you've just described is a sort of <laughs> hopefully this is not hyperbole but a pattern of abuse where <laughs> a child comes into the system and is trained not to trust himself or herself when it comes to learning when it comes to education but to hand over that authority and that power and that trust to the adult and the system the the adult not as a a pure teacher but the adult as the agent of the institution right and then the child some children hand that over some children maybe put up some resistance openly. Some children maybe internally put up resistance. Uh, Some children like Dave, I would say he's an example, probably, you know, just guessing about this is that they don't have to put up that much resistance because what they're passionate about is something that the institution is also passionate about to some extent, right? But anyway, they go through this process where many of them hand over this authority 
to this agent of the institution, trusting it, and like you said, becoming what you're calling an empty vessel student, becoming passive. And then it's sort of this authority is handed back to them, let's say, when they when they graduate or maybe after college or whenever, and they they become disillusioned because they, they realize that, you know, and maybe much earlier for a lot of people, they realize that the, the agents of the institution don't really know what they're doing, right? Or the institution <laughs> doesn't really have their best interests at heart. Uh, yeah. And they probably, you know, they become jaded or cynical. And we see a lot of cynicism and jaded students. <laughs> High school is just known for that. It's famous for that. Right. 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 And now they have to spend this time learning how to trust and believe in their own authority again regarding these these fields where they might not have given that up, you know, in certain domains of their life. But these domains of knowledge and skills and th- which are directly related to work, you know, what am I going to do in my life to to provide something valuable for society or some service to society? It's like you have to retrain yourself to to think about these things in a in a in a totally different way. And it's like coming out of a, an abusive relationship, right? And you yeah, have to have so, some some process of recovery, you know, <laughs> some therapy. Let, let, let me push back on the. Uh, yeah. potential hyperbole of abuse. And I, I only want to do this because I, I actually agree with you that this is a yeah. serious problem. But again, I think it goes to, toward what are we what are we interested in doing as a uh, in in our culture, in our uh, in our society. And I think the reason abuse is I don't know if I, I don't think I would have used the word abuse, but I think the yeah. I, I do appreciate this is a severe claim and effectively we are expecting people to make individual choices at age 18 or age 22 23 or so and we've habituated them for all the years prior to give yeah. up the authority to make individual choices right, right. Uh, except in things like a social life right for <laughs> right. so like I have, I'm concerned about using the word abuse because that it, it it wouldn't be abusive if we lived in a country where individualism wasn't so highly valued. It would make sense. It, the reason it feels so wrong is because we claim to be interested in an individual's right to express himself or herself yeah. or to achieve yeah. what he or she sets out to achieve. Right. Right. Yeah. Let me just. And, <laughs> just and, and so with just, that, yeah, go ahead. But with that operating, with that operating, to go through school this way, where it's just give authority over until at the very last minute you get all of the authority back, it just seems wrongheaded. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it just seems wrongheaded. You you go through high school with no authority about your choices unless you're lucky, and then. You're supposed to go to college, I guess. And then what do you do in college? You voluntarily give up your choice of interest, maybe. Maybe you get to choose certain classes. But wherever your interest was way back in the past, it's hard to even see it anymore. And you're just doing the thing that you've been habituated to do, which is give up authority. Right. Yeah, you just you just see it through the filter of, of professions. Right. right? And, and, right. and jobs. Right, right. You, right. You know, right. which school has taught you to see it that way, you know, which might even make it impossible possible for you to see your actual interest, you know, what you're actually passionate about. But I just wanted to point out that that like you make the point about if we if we wanted a society, if we wanted society to be a certain way, then the this kind of education system wouldn't be abusive. But why do we not want a society like that is because then we would consider that entire society to be abusive. Well, I, I mean, I, like an authoritarian, <laughs> totalitarian society. Why don't we have that is because we consider that itself to be abuse. All the yeah, all the all the bad political words come in. 
but I, I guess I just want to argue from the standpoint of to the extent that this kind of society is possible. Yeah. Right. We need to we need to have systems in place to to see uh, what's the result of applying the principles of of our uh, society of our nation uh, to the systems all the way through all the way down and right yeah and, yeah and, just, and yeah and yeah. but but I guess I, the reason I'm not you know cursing authoritarianism this is the guy who said a little bit of oppression is good last episode <laughs> right. or two episodes right. ago. So it's because, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, maybe we have to really reflect on these things. I think I agree with you. My, my instinct is to say that, no, the, uh, the individual, the liberation of the individual is of top importance to, to live a moral life. And, and so that, that's why I'm in on this podcast saying these things. Uh, yeah. But I guess I just feel like I have to reserve a little bit of space to recognize some practical realities that might not be evident to me right now. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't mean to criticize the way you're saying it, but I, I just mean to say that, yeah, to, to strengthen the idea that it's abuse. Yeah. Because you were pushing yeah. back on that idea, right? And so I'm saying, okay, well, let's say it's, you know, if it's it's not abuse. And one, one scenario we, where we could imagine that it's definitely not abuse is if it's completely harmonious with the way that society is set up, right? Because you're saying, right. to a certain extent, you're saying that that's what makes it problematic is because the yeah, overall but, expectations but, of society are based on this kind of philosophy about how humans, <laughs> right. you know, should be governed, right? But if that were different, then, you know, it wouldn't be so abusive. And so I'm just saying right. that, okay, yes, <laughs> but we consider that way of governing itself to be abusive. So Right, but that's because I mean, we have we, we, that's because yeah. we couldn't pull off the philosopher king model, right? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, there's, that, there's that, but I, I think the other reason I, I'm pushing back against abuse is because I don't want to, I think you you rightly point out that it might seem hyperbolic. There's kids in much yeah. worse situations, right? Yeah, um, we don't want to diminish, but, yeah, the, the, the idea right, of and I think that's yeah that's that's maybe part of what's operating there too but it's all connected as well it's like there's kids yeah. in worse situations that are in like situations of clear uh, mental and physical abuse not not subtle underlying uh, presumptuous <laughs> abuse right yeah of course <laughs> and, and, yeah. and 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 but it's it's all it's all going to be connected we're going to right. i think figure out how to liberate the individual at large uh, and when we do that we can see how to do it in specific terrible uh, instances of it where where you're really pushing a, a young person to his or her limits of, of what can be handled so right right uh, yeah so yeah. I mean I guess there's there's a there's really mixed feelings there about using the well, term abuse but I, right. I, I'm with well, you I understand yeah. I understand I, I get your point you, right. you make a, a an excellent point there sure <laughs> thanks one distinction I'll, uh, I'll make that I think also goes to what you're saying is that the way we normally use the term abuse which has become kind of specialized to to describe a certain you know relationship is normally one where the the abuser has some level of awareness of what they're doing and you know the the effects on on the abused and normally yeah we're talking about more physical or direct and oppressive forms of abuse and so one thing I would say I don't believe that our education system is set up in a way where it's intentionally doing something to 
children or I, I think right. it's it's because of this institutional nature of it that there's a lack of awareness and 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 really like we've talked about before yeah another thing is we don't want to to make all teachers out to be abusers right that's not the point because teachers are doing what they're doing for, for the most part you know I, I would say an overwhelming majority in good faith you know in, yeah. in uh, with a real belief that they're helping you know what they're doing is is helping children and and they are like that's so it's not to diminish anything that teachers are doing and and teachers are very important in, in children's lives Lives and human beings' lives. It, we're, so we're talking about the system that it's happening in, and and like the sort of net effect that it all has, which is going to, in a lot of ways, negate the individual efforts of individual teachers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you, Sean, for <laughs> pushing back on the uh, abuse claim. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's it's really a tough spot to be in to be a, an yeah. agent of the institution. I, I've never met a teacher who's just like a hundred percent. I want to be an agent of the institution. There's teachers right. who who tend to err towards the what the institution is doing, uh, and there's teachers who tend to err toward what they see the the, the student need is. But it's all so right. very difficult because you're always presented with a group of students, and so you're right. you're not assessing individual students except through the content testing that happens. So if I'm a yeah. chemistry teacher, I really am only assessing that student when I get the chemistry thing. It doesn't give me a sense of what that child needs in his or her yeah. life uh, right. or what that child's interests are, yeah. except maybe not chemistry or maybe really right. into chemistry, whatever. Yeah. So right. these, are, these are the problems of getting these uh, narrow glimpses, uh, these, these, this narrow field of vision into uh, a child's life. Uh, and it's, right. it's, it's why... And it's why you have good teachers all over who there's only so much they can do, right? Uh, right. There's right. only so much they can do. Can I just real quick bring this back around to what I want to make sure is is clear in the minds? Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be clear in the minds of the listeners. I suppose people can think for themselves, but, <laughs> yes. but, but, I think, but I think it should be clear in the minds of the listeners what is clear in our minds, which is that- yeah. Just that the Dave example is an example of of what we can do, right? Uh, yeah. Which it was mostly positive. Obviously, there were moments of criticism, but it's something we can do. And I see no reason that we shouldn't try to do that for every student who expresses interest in anything. Yeah. Because yeah, doing I, doing, I, yeah. doing less than that does put you in a pretty morally dubious territory like whether it's abuse or not it's it's morally do it's morally dubious right and i i would just add to that we shouldn't wait for the situation to be to reach the point where we we see that we're dealing with a so-called prodigy who's being confined by the system we should see that this is something that we need to have as a, our default approach to to learners and change our system in such a way that it it reflects this the nature of learning right in the way that your school had to change its structure or adopt, adapt its structure to accommodate the learning path that Dave was on but we shouldn't wait until the path seems to be forcing a divergence from the system that we've set up we should understand that this reveals something about the system right and so this is the whole idea of, of like not taking this as some kind of yeah my concern is just that we don't see Dave as an anomaly. We don't take the fact that he is, you know, has a special talent for math as being the thing we should wait and look for in order to approach students and learners in this way of giving them freedom, of, of trying to give them opportunities to direct and flourish in those things that they're passionate and interested about. Like we've, you know, we've discussed plenty here. But yeah, that's that's my main concern, uh, my main takeaway that or the main false takeaway that I want to caution us against. Maybe we should have led with that. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) We're like, we want to make sure the listeners understand our perspective. So listen to an hour of us talking. (laughs) I mean, we said it and yeah, we did say it. We we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) It's just been a while, you know, (laughs) since that part of the conversation. (laughs) All right. So again, Sean, I'm excited about this because there's so many more things to talk about and, you know, it gives us a reason to keep going. And I think we're, we have lots of great discussions to have. And we also ask our listeners, again, to connect with us on Twitter or Instagram. So on Twitter, we're at Unexamined Ed. And on Instagram, we're at Unexamined Education. And our email is unexaminedededucation at gmail.com. So anything that you hear, if you get triggered by anything we're saying or you wholeheartedly agree, whatever your response is, let us know. So thank you, Sean, for another great conversation. And we're looking forward to the next one. Thanks, John.